This is the Prison Care Podcast. I'm Sabrina Justison, your host, the founder and executive director of Prison Care Incorporated, where we are committed to equipping compassionate people to support positive prison culture from the outside, because everyone on the inside matters. Hello, friends. Thanks for being here. Let's get real and healthy for a second as we start this second season of the Prison Care Podcast. You ready? You are going to screw up. When you do, when you really make some poor choices and you end up creating a mess, you hurt people you love, whatever it looks like. When you royally screw up, there's a basic framework for recovery. You don't believe me? Just check out the thousands of self-help books and websites and articles out there. Talk to some therapists. Each has a slightly, I don't know, different take on the question of how do you recover from disaster? But the framework that they work from, it's all the same. So here's a quick list of steps to take. This is drawn from the countless resources that I could find from my own lived experience for that matter. So here you go. When you realize that you have majorly screwed up, face disaster realistically. Don't compare it to other people's lives. Just face it square on without making excuses and without catastrophizing. Get real. Correctly assign responsibility. You are probably to blame. There are also probably other people who bear some responsibility. And you know what? Each of you is 100% responsible for your own involvement in this disaster. Choose to forgive each person for their part in it. And that includes forgiving yourself. Accept the broader context that the world is a broken place where broken people sometimes do awful things. This is a part of facing reality. Identify all the feelings you have about where you find yourself in the wake of disaster. You know, feelings are not right or wrong. They just are. But you can't think clearly until you have a good idea of what you're feeling and how those feelings are likely influencing you. Choose to recover from this. Choose life. Look for good right where you are. You will find it, even if you're currently in a hole that's about 100 feet deep and that you dug yourself. Put good things into words. Articulate it. Put your choice for life into words. And then choose someone to share those words with. Communicate. Get professional help if you can. Accept times of being alone. Accept times of social engagement. Both are necessary whether you feel like it or not. Choose to do kind things and then choose not to tell people about your acts of kindness. Practice gratitude. Make tiny positive course corrections. Commit to growth. Form new habits and be patient with the process. Refuse to be a stereotype. 
and then refuse to stereotype others. Live in the tension between what is good and what is rotten in all of us. Practice creativity. Share your journey, your story, in an effort to help others who may struggle similarly. That's a synthesis of a, I don't know, widely agreed upon framework for what to do after you have royally screwed up. You have probably read similar advice many places. I mean, Instagram is full of these little bits of wisdom, and they are displayed on pretty backgrounds. You've probably lived out much of this wisdom, and you've seen it prove to be true in your own life. You have undoubtedly watched movies and read books and listened to podcasts where people share their stories of redemption after making a disaster of their lives. And those people invariably reference this same like treasure trove of wisdom. Now, imagine, if you will, working diligently through years of life shaped by that framework, that wisdom. And then imagine how it feels when you run into somebody who knew you at the height of your rottenness, but who hasn't been in your life at all during these years of rebuilding. Does your stomach just knot up? That friend you betrayed years ago. That spouse you cheated on. The business partner you ripped off. That intimate partner you hit when you were drinking. That child you disowned, who then wanted nothing to do with reconciling once you had come to your senses. Your stomach dreads the thought of running into that person because that person knows your worst moment. They know it really, really well. And that's the last impression they have of you. They haven't seen you in the last several years when you faced the reality, when you took the responsibility, when you committed to growth, when you got help, when you made changes, and when you chose life for yourself and for anyone that you could help around you. All they know is your worst moment, your worst moment being known by your worst moment, being being defined by your worst moment. It's a nightmare, isn't it? If I asked you right now to close your eyes, well, not if, if you're driving, sorry, scratch that, not if you're driving, but think about a moment in your life of which you are deeply, deeply ashamed. I'll give you a second. Got it? Great. Now, please drop a comment in Prison Care's Instagram and tell us what you did. Yeah, I didn't think so. Being defined by your worst moment is the daily reality for people who are incarcerated. If people don't know the details of your conviction, they at least know that you are now living inside a prison and you are identified by a Department of Corrections number attached to your last name. If you just got sentenced a month ago, You've just gotten off the bus at intake. Okay, maybe that's a necessary thing for a time. But once you've served, I don't know, five years, five years during which you've been diligently working through all of that wise framework that we agreed upon, what all the experts say is the path to recovery, redemption, right? Five years during which people all around you, the the other inmates, the prison staff, your family or friends on the outside who chose to stay in contact with you, when all those people have seen consistent, authentic evidence of change, 
Should we still be thinking first of your worst moment when we see you? Okay, maybe five years is not enough. How about 10 years? How about 20? Oh, how about this? How about 20 years and now you've served all your sentence, you've been released from prison, you've been consistently living a life that builds up others and that continues to build you up, that makes the world a better place. And every time you apply for a job, you have to check a box on the application that says you committed a felony. What's the statute of limitations on being an ex-offender, a former felon? For how many years should you be defined by your worst moment? And what are the marks, the, the signs that rehabilitation has been achieved? What does rehabilitation actually mean in the life of a person who's been sentenced to prison? You know, there's not actually an agreed upon definition of rehabilitation in the corrections field. I don't know for sure what we do with all of this, but I know that we need to think about it. I had never thought about it during the first 50 years of my life. And then once I did think about it, I couldn't unthink it. I hope that's going to be true for you too, friends. I hope that you are going to be unable to unthink it. I don't know what all the answers are to rehabilitation in the life of a person who has committed a crime, who's been violent, who has taken a life, who has maybe refused help again and again, who's maybe then cut off everyone who loves them, and who's gone on to justify atrocious acts. I don't know what it takes to find redemption in a story like that. But I know that if it happens, if rehabilitation happens, we begin to see it. And when we can see it's happening, when we can see that it has happened, it's not okay for us to continue to define that person by their worst moment. That can't possibly be the way to encourage that person toward ongoing committed growth. That can't possibly make the world a better place, can it? So here at the start of our second season of the Prison Care Podcast, I'm going to challenge you to think about that question. What if you were defined by your worst moment? We're going to be exploring some practical ideas for supporting the mental wellness of everyone inside a prison neighborhood, right? Correctional officers and incarcerated people in the coming weeks. We're going to be digging into all of that good stuff here on the podcast. But we're starting season two with this global question because it impacts corrections staff as well. And and if that's not obvious to you right at the outset, that's okay. We're going to unfold um, all of that as, as we go forward this season. But this global question opens up conversation that will help us begin to think outside the box, the, the box that we've created that we call the U.S. prison system, the way it's been for the last hundred plus years. What if you were defined by your worst moment? I'm going to ask you to ask your partner that question. Ask your coworker, ask your friends, just stir that conversation and get people talking about it. What would that do in the workplace if everyone there was known by their worst moment? 
what would that do in the home? If each of you was known by your worst moment, what would that do in your circle of friends? What if you were defined by your worst moment? We need to seriously consider the implications of a system in which no convicted felon can ever move beyond that label. No matter how many years of consistent evidence we all can see of their daily commitment to a life of responsibility. And maybe if we all think about it, maybe we can put our heads together. Maybe we can come up with a new way forward when it comes to caring for people inside a prison neighborhood. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And thanks, as always, friends, for caring. Till you stay